This is Project 1521. I'm Adolfo Guzman Lopez. Today is July 12, 2021. In 2018, I was shaken up by a painting of a cactus. It was made on paper made of bark and fiber. The color was like nothing I'd seen, but it was as familiar as the smell of wet earth when it rains. Painter Sandy Rodriguez created the color from natural dyes. Project 1521 was born out of the desire to mine these moments. We've met and workshopped through the pandemic, and this podcast documents those moments. We're about to publish our first book of that writing, and we've created a GoFundMe campaign to publish three books. You can help make that happen by donating. On the show, Linda Ravenswood de Montaño and I talk about ancestors and how they live through our senses. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe. Look for our GoFundMe link in the podcast description. Now, an update about the GoFundMe campaign. Hello, I am Darren J. DeLeon member of Project 1521 and producer of this podcast. I'm subbing for Yago Gura this week. We have seven more weeks left in our GoFundMe campaign, whose link you can find in the podcast description. You Will Not Be Forgotten is the first in a series of publications that addresses the 500 years of resistance since the arrival of Cortes and the fall of the Aztec Empire. We have an extremely talented core of poets whose work will be included in this series. With your $25 donation, we will ship you a copy of our first poetry collection to you anywhere in the continental United States. And you will also receive a thank you acknowledgement in the publication itself. For every GoFundMe donation, you will also receive additional perks like Easter eggs, pictures, videos, special recordings, and links to give you insight to our writings. I've worked with independent publishers for over 20 years, and this is the first poetry collection to specifically address the historical atrocities that both the immigrant and indigenous populations have endured. But instead of retelling the stories of brutalities, we are sharing the very personal stories of love, hope, and endurance that have helped our community survive and thrive in today's world. Our core group of poets are some of the most talented and veteran writers in California with a wealth of experience and publications. With that said, we hope that you can become part of our family of donors. And if you've already donated, thank you. But if you haven't, donate now. And when the book arrives, you can proudly display it and say, yeah, I helped fund that. Once again, help us reach our goal by donating. You can find the GoFundMe link in the podcast description. Donate today and become family. I'm Darren J. DeLeon. Thank you. In our Project 1521 workshops, we studied how the Tlaquilos, the indigenous writers and painters who created the Florentine Codex, documented their time and place. The Codex was written during a time of crisis. We are living through a time of crisis. Project 1521's writers are documenting it. To us, that means writing about whose shoulders we stand on. 
In this conversation, Linda Ravenswood de Montaño and I talk about our ancestors. Adolfo Guzman Lopez, my friend, you were born in Mexico City and you grew up in Tijuana and San Diego. And in 1994, you co-founded the Taco Shop Poets in San Diego and you guys toured across the country. In 2000, Adolfo, you became a reporter at KPCC, the NPR station right here in Los Angeles. And then, of course, in 2018, you founded with Sandy Rodriguez Project 1521. Hola, Adolfo. Hey, and, and you, Linda Ravenswood de Montaño, you were born and raised in Los Feliz, or Los Feliz, <laughs> the uh, very beautiful neighborhood of Los Angeles. Uh, from 1993 to the 2010s and to now, this is, this is amazing. These are the series you've been involved in LA and poetry, Cobalt Cafe, Beyond Baroque, Melrose Poetry Bureau, Red Light Lit in San Francisco. You have an MA from Mount St. Mary's, an MA and PhD, your PhD candidate from Pacifica Graduate Institute. And this is, this is I think, what's, what's, um, the, what's leaving the most impact from your work. You teach writing. <laughs> for the Colburn School, 24th Street Theater, Angels Gate Cultural Arts Center. And that teaching work puts you in dozens of schools in LA Unified, Linwood, Culver City. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You founded <laughs> the Los Angeles Press in 2018 and you're a <laughs> founding Project 1521 member. Oh my gosh. That's right. <laughs> You know, so much about what we've been doing in Project 1521 has been about putting ourselves back in 1521 and embodying the beginning of colonialism, the destruction mm. of the temples and of the writing and the text and the changing of ways of living, right? And then 50 years after that, you know, the writing of the Florentine Codex. And, and a lot of this has been about imagining, embodying the ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which has overlapped with my work. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about my mother's father who was murdered when she was three years old. And I've been thinking about my mother's grandmother who crossed with her daughter, my, my mother's mother, from Tromita, Guanajuato, heading to Chicago. They crossed at Laredo in 1928. But your, your ancestors, wow. Portland, Oregon, Idaho, <laughs> pick one pick, pick one tell me tell me the name of one of those ancestors and who, who you've oh been thinking God. about recently oh yes um the first one that comes to mind is my grandfather my mother's father Hugh McKee because you said Idaho so I immediately think of of my my grandfather who worked for the oh my gosh he was at Mare Islands in San Francisco installing sonar on submarines during the second world war he, like you said, was, was from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And then, of course, in Idaho, he always the um, electrically minded, the, that was the news of the day, right? Electricity. And he worked for Thomas Edison's group here in California. But when he was in Idaho, in Sugar City, Idaho, he started working for the Lemleys Corporation, right? And he 
had movie theaters all across the West in Idaho and Utah and Oregon and California. His last theater, in fact, was right here in town, the Montrose Theater. And he owned that with my grandmother. But yeah, I just think about the call of the day, all the switches and the lights and how he followed that all across the West and how that just shaped his life, that innovation of the day. So I immediately think of him. Also, because when I sat down for the interview, you said straight from Sugar City, it's a Linda. So, yeah. But also, I think immediately of my father's ancestors, the Corsarios uh-huh. of Baja California. Uh-huh. I think of the, the, the Scottish missionaries who went down there. My gosh, walked all the way down. From where? The, the whole peninsula. Oh, you know? my God. Um, and the English, the English uh, pirates and privateers, right? Because in my family down there, their names are McDonald, Collins, which of course they pronounce Goyins, you know what I'm saying, Goyins, and the Fishers, and then of course the the, the Montaños. Um, yeah. So this is uh, in progress. If we die tonight, if we're on the floor tonight, if we're collapsed in the shower tonight, if we fall through and our wife sees us falling with wet strawberries in her hands. I love you. If we die tonight under the pier alone in our wet raincoat in the car by the side of the road near the tree where Lorca is buried, if only we knew the illusion of love or the shiny outer coating of love or if we doubted love at every turn, I love you. If we die tonight broken, mangled, hurt, lonely, happy for hungry, skinny for fat, able, challenged, and permutations thereon. If we never get known, never quite get it right, if we come a day late and a dollar short, I love you. So you mentioned I'm teaching a lot, and I'm just totally a product of all those teachers. Like my father was a teacher, his mother a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in La Rivera and their other, the other child, my father's siblings are their twins. So my tío René, he was a principal of a school for like over 30 years. So I come by my teaching very, I guess, genetically. You're making me think of my, I have two aunts from Tijuana when my mother and I arrived in Tijuana. uh, What year was it? Probably like 1974, Mm -hmm. uh, more or less. I was three years old. And uh, my two aunts were studying to be teachers. And so one, I think, was just entering Universidad Autónoma de Baja California. The other was, I think, still in high school or something like that. But, but they were teachers and they, they would sit me down. And, and like I was their, their guinea pig for their, the pedagogy that they were learning in the classroom. And I had a conversation with my aunt uh, Ana Arevalo recently. And she was telling me that when she would sit me down and read to me uh, when I was like three years old, I learned the book. And then I would tell her because they were, this would be before bedtime, right? So, you know, they would kind of skip some parts because they just want to get me to bed and just get on with the rest of their (laughs) night, right? They would skip some parts and I would tell them, no, that doesn't say that there. You forgot this part. (laughs) And, 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 And then they realized, oh my God. He, he's reading. Uh, and so then I read them the book. I began with reading them the book. So for me, going to their house in Tijuana when I was a, later on 
uh, when I was, uh, you know, in, in elementary school and as a teenager, they always had books. And to me, that that home in Colonia Postal in Tijuana was always really a repository of not only learning and books, but just conversation. All that weedy weedy. Mm-hmm. Was it was it were some of your families like that? Just like the gift of gab? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My mother married a child of Holocaust survivors here in Los Angeles as her second husband. And so the stories, it was just absolutely story time every every night. It's become quite thinned out nowadays. But when I was growing up, so many survivors lived here in Los Angeles and we would meet in the Fairfax district, especially on the weekends, you know, across the street at Black Sea or at Cantor's or in the line at Schwartz Bakery. They were there. They were there for us. And it was obvious. And then they would come to our house and I guess I was always like you, a little reporter in training, you know, tell me the story, tell me again. But how old were you though? Because Holocaust stories, I mean, there's just so much pain and atrocity in them. And then there's the element of survival. How old were you and how did you take these stories? Was it, was it gruesome? Well, you know, it's interesting, Adolfo, because there's something of me that's always been definitely the insider outsider. So because I'm of mixed genetics, of mixed races, right? There's, I I think that there's some quality that people are a little bit more accepting because of the mixedness when you're asking questions that seem meaningful and uh, that inquire about someone's history, right? They're maybe a little bit more inclined to say, "Mm, this person doesn't exactly know and look how they want to know maybe I better give them a break in a way there's definitely had a feeling like that was going on like they really wanted to open up to me Uh, years ago I did a report in April about how the major genocides of the 20th century all have a like an April date in common the Cambodian genocide um, the Holocaust and the Armenian genocide all, all have like a, a key date in common in April. And so I interviewed you know, Cambodians in Long Beach, Cambodian Americans. I went to a, uh, a Hebrew day school in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, I went to a, an Ar- Armenian genocide remembrance at Glendale College. And one of the things that inter- was interesting to me is how those different communities, how people in those different communities told the stories or held the stories in. Some of, I think, people in all of those communities, it was so, ga- so, so gruesome and such a, such a terrible thing to live through that you don't want to relive it by talking about it, right? Well, yeah, people, uh, I was often told, you know, we don't ask those questions. And, but for some reason, they allowed me, so many of them allowed me to, to ask, to sit on their knee. I was little and so interested. So a lot of things were in my favor, right? to be able to be told the story, right? I was young, I was a girl, I was mixed. And, and then that really important point is I really listened and I really remember. So maybe they kind of felt sort of the, a permission to, to go where maybe they wouldn't usually go. So I, I consider that an incredibly sacred uh, journey that they uh, sent me on and uh, that I'm still on. So I'm, I'm very honored by that. And it's colored all my writing and all my relationships in, in many ways, right? The, the, the whole idea, the Frankel idea of that quest for meaning 
in what seems to be so meaningless. Also, you know, the, the massacre of Amritsar in India, that was also April. Wow, wow. Yeah. You grew up going to synagogues in LA, Temple Beth Am, Temple Sinai, yep. in Westwood. So I grew up Catholic. Yeah, wife, I grew up Catholic too. Like I uh, went to Catholic school, although, oh my yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so uh, my wife is Jewish and we decided to raise our, our kids Jewish. Mm. I haven't converted, but in the last five years, I've really embraced the traditions and rituals of Judaism. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Shabbat as a time to disconnect and study the portions of the Torah for the week and try to get lessons from that. What you were talking about made me think of a part in the Friday night services that talks about, and it's the central part, you know, the mothers and the fathers prayer, where it talks about, you know, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Sarah, Leah, uh, uh, Rachel, Avot ve'imahot. So it talks about, that prayer talks about a, a source of all creation that transmits the love of the mothers and the fathers over generations. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just that every time I get to that part, it's so powerful because I identify that from my mother to me, she transmitted a love and communicated a love. There's been hardship between me and my mom. And, and that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> and, and similarly, hardship between my mom and her mother because of the death, the murder of my mother's father. But there is a line, there's like an unbroken line of love, of parental Mm -hmm. love transmitted through those Hebrew words to me embody that, right? Have you, I don't know, have you found similar words or? or, or, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like the whole idea of like Moshe Abenu, the Abenus, Emenus, right? They're the mothers and fathers who, literally hold us figuratively hold us all through our lives right and that like you said that unbroken chain so much overlap the destruction of the the temples of israel the destruction of the temples of mexico i definitely i mean maybe for some people it's strange to see those cultures overlapping but not for us right we definitely feel those like in the deepest parts of our hearts oh my god i gotta tell you so so we went on a family trip to israel in 2018, we spent two weeks there, went to many parts of the country, spent about five days in Jerusalem, and we went to a part, and there's an excavation that, that's labeled as parts of the wall of the first temple, which goes back, like, you know, the first temple, I think, was um, or 600 before the Christian era, so a long time ago, right? And as soon as I saw that, I'm thinking, I was thinking of the excavations in Mexico City at the Templo Mayor, and how... I've been there so many times. So there's that part. And then the other part of that trip was coming back. And when we came back, it was the remembrance and fast day of Tisha B'Av, which remembers the destruction of the first temple and the second mm. temple. And you're suppo- you read from the Book of Lamentations and you put yourself in an empathetic place yes. to, to those people who lost the most sacred thing to them, right? Yes. Yes, and not to cover your life with lamentation and misery, but to cover your life with meaning and history. We were talking yesterday about the end of conquest and what that looks like. 
What does that mean for you, Adolfo, the end of conquest? Well, it means exactly this. It it means tapping into that love that's been given to us and maybe even remembering, okay, so one more time to the trip to, to Israel at the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. There's a final place where it's, it's almost like a, a rotunda that's, that goes up to very, very high and it's got shelves with books with the names of the people who, who were murdered in the Holocaust and I, 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 their names and maybe some descriptions of who they were. And it made me think that for the people who were killed after the conquest of Mexico, we don't know their names. We've lost their names. That doesn't mean we can't recover the names. We can recover the names somehow. And, and so I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to do is recover mm. the names of those people 500 years ago, 450 years ago, who died in this process of colonialism. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of something. Maybe it's the most important thing that I ever wrote and it was Yad Vashem is collecting the names and has been for decades now of the Holocaust murdered. And when I went to look through the annals there of the names of some of the members of my family who perished, there was a mistake in the history there. And I was able through contacting Yad Vashem, the, uh, we're back to the technology plan my grandfather working with electricity in Edison, right? The amazing technological advances that shape our lives today. So because of that, I was able to contact Yad Vashem and fix, fix that little mistake in history and write the correct name into the history because I, I listened, because I was told, yeah. because I cared. So maybe that's the most important poem, the most important thing I ever actually wrote was to write that correctly there at Yad Vashem. Linda, what it, what it sounds to me like, it's, it's and, and you know this concept very well, it's, you know, this, this Jewish concept that they were, uh, the creation of the heavens and the earth in the beginning, there were ruptures, breaks in there. And our job is to heal and, and fix some of those breaks. And it sounds like you, um, you did a little bit of fixing there, right? Tikkun olam. <laughs> so Linda, here's a poem that I wrote about Tisha B'Av. It is a day to remember the worst thing that could happen, destruction of temples that kept the world reborn, burning of villages, rounding up of families onto trains, father tortured by the liberators, infighting that opens the gates to fire and destruction, burning of the sacred scrolls, pieces floating up as embers, landing in a languid canal, shaken by a woman's falling tear. She picks up the pieces and puts them in a basket. The name of the day is the name of the day, the ninth day of the month of Av, the day to fast, to feel pangs of pain, of deprivation, only a fraction of what they felt in Anatolia, in Saigon, in Tenochtitlan, that wounded knee, in Anehu, in Phnom Penh, in Yerushalayim, a day for words of lamentations, to wonder how our leaders failed us, to feel whose land we stand on, to hold ourselves up for having lived to this day, that one day to remember. 
That was beautiful, Adolfo. Thank you. Adolfo, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for introducing me just a little bit to your ancestors that you've shared with the community so beautifully through your pictures over the years. Uh, whenever I see you, you're a very grand man today, but somehow I always see you in Tijuana in your little tuxedo <laughs> next to your birthday cake. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're going to make us have to post this picture on. <laughs> Adolfo, please, please, will you post the picture? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Well, and this has been a great opportunity. Every time I talk to you, I learn new things about you. Just when I I think I've, um, this is it, right? Uh, I know everything that, about <laughs> Linda. And there's always so much there in so many different places of the world. Yeah. Thank you, Linda. Oh, gracias a Adolfísimo. Linda's poetry and my poetry will be part of Project 1521's forthcoming books. But to publish them, we need you to join our family of donors. Please click on the GoFundMe link in the podcast description. Next week, poetry and listening to what the land is telling you. A profile of Project 1521 member Gloria Enedina Alvarez, a poet with a long list of accomplishments in Los Angeles literature. Thank you for listening. Join us on Mondays for new episodes.